When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? But you don't never... do it? No, I know. Girl! You'll think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like a old school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. Robinhood has become a huge player in the investing and trading space. If you don't know it, it's an app that allows users to invest and trade stocks and cryptocurrency investments. Unlike some of its competitors, Robinhood doesn't require users to have a ton of cash in order to start investing. That's opened up investing opportunities to people who have been shut out of the investing world before. In many ways, that's progress. But at the same time, Robinhood has been called out for some serious allegations that have financial experts raising their eyebrows or downright concerned. I had the opportunity to talk with Christine Brown, one of the original architects of Robinhood's platform and now the chief operating officer of the crypto side. I was excited to bring some visibility to how Robinhood makes money and how they handle transparency. These are both big topics that are important to me, so I wanted to make sure that I was telling both sides of the story and doing my due diligence as a financial journalist to make sure I'm telling the whole truth. It quickly became clear that I wouldn't be able to do this in one bite-sized episode. So here's what's going to happen. In today's episode, I'm going to share my conversation with Christine, but I wanted to make sure that I share a second opinion on Robin Hood from someone outside of the company. So at the end of today's episode, I have Dr. Richard Smith, a financial expert and math whiz, give another perspective on the questions I cover with Christine. I am so excited to have you, and I'm so excited to dive in and hear more about your work at Robinhood. Is it true that you never traded before joining Robinhood? It was. I remember when I actually created my Robinhood account and being like, oh, this is it. You don't have to have this heavy, heavy, like go in, see a broker, have them make all your trades. It was something where I could just explore. I could peruse. I could kind of do it at my own pace, on my own terms. I actually looked back recently at what my first trade was and it was around $100. You know, at the time, maybe didn't feel super small, but it was something that was accessible to me. And I knew in that moment, I was like, I have to work at this company. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Once you start and you get over that sense of intimidation, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why am I just starting now? This making money is amazing. Right. 
I admire you as a woman in this space. Thank you. I think it's so important to have these conversations openly and honestly. And I also found it so admirable that you've brought this new perspective to Robinhood because it can be scary. People don't want to lose their money. They're concerned. And your emphasis on building trust through communication, you've said you want to pull back the curtain. You jumped into a Reddit thread like a boss right (laughs) into a controversy that was going on with GameStop earlier this year. You went right into the belly of the beast of that story. And so I commend you because that's a hard thing to do. Thank you. Why do you think that transparency is so important? Why did you want to bring that to Robinhood? You know, there's a generational shift in how people are investing, right? Like we've seen that this year, things are changing. And the folks that are coming into the system now have just a different set of expectations. And one of that is transparency and understanding. So if we can show up with that, if we can provide that context and the peek behind the curtains, I think it helps them really understand and kind of feel more comfortable with the financial markets in general. First timers in the market, they ask me what platform to use all the time. They slip into the DMs. These are the nerdy kind of DMs that I get. (laughs) Why do you think Robinhood is better than other platforms? You know what? I think it comes down to accessibility and ease of use. For me personally, there's a huge intimidation factor when it comes to getting started investing. I didn't actually place a trade until my late 20s. And I came from a background where I kind of had had everything stacked up in my favor, right? So I came from a middle-class family. You know, we didn't really talk about money, but it wasn't taboo. I had the privilege of going to college. I got a solid education. I was working in tech. You know, my first job out of college was at Google, right? I came from this privileged background. And even I didn't have all the tools or the confidence to get involved in the market, right? I didn't feel like it was for me. And choosing something that feels accessible, that's easy, where you can just get started, you can dip your toe in, like that's the biggest barrier to get over. Um, and I think Robinhood does that better than any other app. Would you consider Robinhood a trading platform or an investing platform? Yeah, I think it's it, it's it's interesting that there is that nuance. You know, people think about trading and investing very differently. Um, I, I think it's an investing platform, um, but I also think I, I maybe quibble with that delineation as well, because I think you can be an investor and still actively trade. Um, You know, one thing that makes it that more traditional investing platform is that we have a lot of like long-term investing products. Um, We have recurring investments. So you can kind of set uh, a buy um, that just happens and triggers over time. Um, We recently rolled that out for crypto as well, um, which I'm really excited about because, you know, crypto Interestingly, the a, a lot of what we see in the marketplace today is that people still charge fees and commissions on crypto investing, which feels a little counterintuitive, right? It's supposed to be cutting edge technology. Why are we still in the, the days of commission fees? But commission fees really make it harder for someone to do something like a dollar cost averaging strategy where you're making small buys into the market over time so you don't have to worry about the volatility. So things like that, our, our education platform, um, all of those to me signal that this is for investors. This is for people who you know want to have a robust strategy. They want to maybe do equity and options and crypto trading side by side. They want to earn interest on their cash, right? Robinhood does all of that for you. We've talked about pay for order flow on the show. How would you explain that concept and why do you think Robinhood uses it? You know, I might not be the best person actually to to speak on that um, since that 
is more tied with our kind of like equities and options business. And I get to really oversee how we're doing things on crypto. Okay. And so how are you doing things on crypto differently by not using commissions uh, or kickbacks? Yeah. So we route our orders to um, a few liquidity providers. We route based on the best price. So we have them competing on price to give our customers the lowest or highest if you're selling a possible price in the market. Um, And we do receive rebates from them um, for our order flow. Listen, I'm drinking out of a mug that says index funds and chill. So I fully love dollar cost averaging. I love the idea of being a long-term investor. I'm a little bit more concerned about people that are jumping in for the first time and just starting to trade. But I do so appreciate the idea of democratizing finances. It's what I stand for. It's why I get up every morning. Do you think though trading should be available to everyone, even if they're not experienced in the market? Or do you think it's dangerous for folks who don't know how to use it? You know, I I don't know if it's my place to really opine and say, yes, people should or shouldn't be doing certain things. I think there's a, like there's enough of that that actually makes it really intimidating to get involved in the first place, right? So I don't want there to be an, another barrier to entry. If, if you are thinking about something, um, like my best advice is just start small. Um, so, you know, with that said, I do think that education is part of the onboarding process. I think that as you get, if you're a first time investor or trader, really understanding and like taking the time to listen to other people, kind of read up on on the decisions that you're making, I think is critical no matter what. And so that's, I I think Robinhood is also um, pretty great for, for new investors and new traders there as well. A lot of young people are on the platform. Do you actually know how many? Actually, um, I don't have that. I don't have that figure off the top of my head, but I do know that like our, our median age tends to to skew more towards the millennial investor. Yeah, and we've had some millennial investors actually on the show mm. who have done a lot of day trading on Robinhood on other platforms. I mean, some of them were actually in their teens, which makes me feel particularly old. But what kind of safeguards are in place to protect them from hurting themselves financially? Yeah, so I mean, every broker dealer has KYC requirements, which is know your customer. So when you onboard into Robinhood, there's a series of questions that you get asked um, that will will kind of help us understand who you are as an investor and where you are in your investment journey. And and that kind of permeates through the entire app. Um, I think that the the educational resources that we've seen that are really successful, um, one that I personally love is our our Snacks podcast, um, which kind of makes investing like really bite-sized, right? It's a snack. Um, So you can kind of listen and understand like what is happening in the market. You can learn more about companies. Um, Crypto specifically, I think that we've actually made a lot of investments here. Um, And again, our recurring product is something that I'm really excited about because you can invest as little as $1 on a recurring basis. So if you're like, look, not really sure about this. I want to get started small. You know, you can put $1 into one of our cryptocurrencies every week and just and and see how that feels and and see, you know, whether it works out for you. And and if not, you can adjust and you can change. And, And there's so many different options on the app that you can go from there. Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Now for some more Money Rehab. I think a lot of people do relate Robinhood with GameStop. We've covered it a lot. What was it like seeing that play out from the inside? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, and I've I've been at 
I've been at Robinhood for four and a half years now. Um, it it felt a lot like I've handled other like really critical and important moments in the company's history. Like I I really admire our leadership and how open and transparent they are with the company. I really admire seeing them put our customers first in all of the decisions that they're making and and how they show up in those critical moments. Um, and so seeing that from the inside and seeing how people were thinking about how do we show up and how do we do the right thing? It made me more bullish on Robinhood in general. So the company just IPO'd. Congratulations. Thank you. What was the IPO process like for you? Really what was magical about the IPO process for us is that we had recently launched an IPO product on our platform. So typically IPOs are really catered to institutional players, right? It's not the retail investor. It's not you and I that get to raise our hand and say, I want to participate in an IPO and get shares before it's even offered at market. And Robinhood, a few months before our own IPO, launched this new product, which kind of turned that on its head and said, why should the rich get a better deal? Let's make sure that retail and and everyday customers have access to this as well. And our own IPO went through that process. So it was really, you know, the day of, and I was really lucky to be able to be at NASDAQ with the founders and and kind of the senior staff team. I don't think a lot of people were thinking about their own bank accounts. They're thinking about our customers, the ones that have participated in our IPO and what it meant for them and how we were able to kind of get more people involved and, and get them an insider glimpse of this process that typically has been really exclusionary. Well, it's so meta too that you could buy the Robinhood, Robinhood. stock on Robinhood. Yes. Do you think that's been one of the biggest advancements of fintech and brokerage apps that you can democratize access to IPOs for, as you said, the retail investor, which if anyone listening doesn't know what that is, that would be in comparison to an institutional investor and retail person like a mom and pop or like uh, me or Christine or our amazing producer Morgan could buy it as well now. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is one, one innovation. i I wouldn't say it is the biggest. And I say that because I think that there's so much more on the horizon. When we look at the financial industry, and Robinhood has done this a lot for brokerage, for crypto businesses, right? We're taking the the fundamental kind of working model, like let's have commissions, let's have products that are only accessible to institutions. Um, And we're flipping it on its head. And we're saying, how do we actually make this something that is approachable, accessible, where the rich don't get a better deal. And I think that we have that appetite way beyond just trading and crypto and, you know, all of the product suites that we have now. You know, we did this with cash management a few years back as well. We're like, why are you getting like 0.01% on cash that is sitting in your checking account, right? That just is wrong, right? The bank is using that and they're making multiple percentage points on it. Like, how is that not something that we're giving back to users and that we're enabling people to grow their wealth and to really take control of their financial future? So um, I'd say it's an innovation. Um, Hopefully there are many, many more to come. What do you think is to come? Oh, man, I can't spill the secrets on that quite yet, but... But you have to love me for asking. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think generally can be improved? What do you think is the next chapter for the company? While there was a lot of focus on GME, AMC, et cetera, in January, like there was a huge wave of crypto interest that was happening as well, right? This was 
one of those foundational generational shifts and getting more people in the crypto market. And we spent a lot of effort building out and scaling our team so that we could show up to our customers when they needed us the most. And that's working on stability, working on infrastructure, working on things that like maybe aren't headlines, but are just really critical. And we've also been pretty vocal about the fact that we are investing in wallets. And then beyond that, like, I don't know, when I think of Robinhood, I like to think of it as like the single money app that you need on your phone, right? Um, right now for me to manage my finances, you know, I've got a bank account, a, a checking account, a savings account, a credit card, a student loans, a car loan, right? And it's, I have to go to 10 different places the first week of every month just to make sure that it's all under control. And I would love for Robinhood to just be that central, relevant, accessible place for, for my money. That was most of my conversation with Christine. It was a conversation that was pitched as a transparent one, but that's not really what we got. To me, a transparent conversation about blunders with a company is a mea culpa. Uh, hey, we messed up. We totally get it. And we will do better kind of thing. Instead, it felt like we got a lot of talking points, which was disappointing. We hoped that a founding member would be able to speak truly openly about and address many areas of the business. And frankly, not being able to dig in past the talking points with Christine made me feel like I hadn't done right by you. After my interview with Christine, I couldn't stop thinking about our conversation. And the more I thought about it, the more I felt like I needed to introduce a second voice in this episode, one outside of Robin Hood, to give perspective. Payment for order flow is a huge controversial aspect of how Robinhood does business that users have the right to know about. So I couldn't, in good conscience, let that question go unanswered. In the spirit of fair journalism, though, I told Robinhood that I was going to bring in another voice to talk about payment for order flow, and I didn't want to introduce another opinion without giving Robinhood a chance, albeit a second chance, to give their explanation of payment for order flow and why they use it. So here's what they sent me. When people invest through our brokerage, we mostly send their orders to market makers that typically offer better prices than public exchanges. In exchange for the order flow, those market makers offer payment to brokerages like ours. Our routing system is designed to automatically send an order to the market maker we have a relationship with that is likely to give the best execution based on historical performance. Before Robinhood, it was typical for incumbent brokerages to collect payment for order flow on top of high commissions and other hidden fees. We didn't invent payment for order flow, but we did pioneer commission-free, no-account minimum investing, which opened the door for millions more people to become investors. While there's lots of misinformation out there about payment for order flow, we think what people care about is getting to invest commission-free at the best prices. We think, and we are not alone, that routing orders to market makers provides our customers with the best prices reasonably available. Receipt of payment for order flow lets us offer commission-free trading along with a delightful mobile experience and the product and services our customers love. So that's what I got from Robinhood. 
What's my take on this response? Well, there's a whole lot of legal qualifiers here. Likely, mostly, typically. Robinhood is not saying that they guarantee to get you the best prices from all markets, just public ones, not private or crypto, for instance. As someone who has covered this space for more than a decade, I want to raise my hand when statements like these are fraught with confusing financial jargon and legalese and saying, come on, guys, let's do better. Especially when you tout democratization, especially when you're dealing with newbie investors. To tell the whole story of payment for order flow, including WTF is payment for order flow in the first place, here's Dr. Richard Smith. Dr. Smith, welcome to Money Rehab. I'm so glad to be here, Nicole. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You specifically don't need Money Rehab. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself for listeners who might not know who you are? Sure. Uh, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> We're not going to the womb today. Uh, All right. That's for another time. But we reached out to you initially to talk about Robin Hood, and you are a doctor. So can you link those things together? Sure. Actually, I started out as a doctor of uncertainty. My uh, undergrad background was in mathematics. And then I did my PhD in a field called systems science. System science is concerned with how do we solve problems that aren't easy to solve, right? And so computers come in, data comes in, mathematics comes in, et cetera. But also we come in as human beings, you know, how do we make decisions under uncertainty? And of course, the stock market is a wonderful place to be faced with uncertainty and still need to make decisions. So I think it's really fascinating. And this is what I love to do. So happy to be here talking with you about it. That is fascinating. You are a bona fide nerd, so you're definitely in the right place. <laughs> yes. Welcome. Can you explain briefly what pay for order flow is? So, you know, if you want to buy a share of Tesla, you go to say, I want to buy a share of Tesla. There's a bid and an ask, right? What somebody's willing to sell it for, what somebody's willing to buy it for. That's called the spread. And you can go do that at the NASDAQ directly on the NASDAQ exchange. Or you can do it through what's called a wholesale market maker. The exchanges are restricted to changing it to one penny increments of minimum spreads, right? So the difference between the buy and the sell orders have to be at least a penny. But wholesale market makers are able to offer fractional prices. And so they're able to sometimes get you a little better pricing than you could get on the exchange. So through that incentive, they're able to get the trades executed on their platform right? Robinhood is making money by getting paid by the wholesale market makers, Citadel, Virtu, others for payment for order flow. And then through that, they get intelligence about the markets, what's going on in the markets, right? Where are the trades happening? And they get intelligence about that and it's valuable to them. And they know a lot more about risk management than <laughs> the retail investor does. And they're able to leverage that knowledge about risk management and the superior data to ultimately get good outcomes for themselves. Let me double click on the spread. So when you stop at a gas station and you want to buy a $2 bottle of water, the buyer spends $2 and the seller pockets $2. In investing, this isn't typically true. Right. Typically, there's a gap between how much the buyer spends to purchase a share and how much a seller gets when selling a share. Yes. That gap is the spread. And this is where we get into the idea that investing is not just between the buyer and the seller. It's yes. really between four people or four entities here. 
the buyer, the seller, the brokerage, like a Robin Hood, and a market maker, like a Citadel. Right. So the brokerage and the market maker are facilitating these trades and they get to pocket the spread. Yes. Um, that matters when yes. we're talking about huge volume. And when you're signing up for a platform like Robinhood with all these, you know, free trades and whatnot, you're thinking that this is free. But it's not free because you're actually paying a small fraction of a percent that turns into real money. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, here's where the issue of gamification comes up. When you sign up for Robinhood, they're usually not putting, you know, Apple and uh, IBM and Microsoft Microsoft in front of you, right? Because those are very tight spreads. Robinhood makes more money, I'm afraid, the wider the spread. So you mean like essentially those are, you know, blue chip, tried and true value stocks. They're not you're not making like a ton of money overnight in Microsoft. Right. And they're highly liquid. The spreads are very tight. Whereas if you can get somebody to buy an option on GameStop back during the first quarter when GameStop was going nuts and it was $300 a share, let's say, and now the spread is like $300 or $301, you got a dollar spread. Okay. And then you go, well, I want to buy an option on GameStop instead. Now the spread's even wider. Robin Hood makes a percentage of the spread. So the wider the spread, the bigger the cut for Robinhood. So they're incentivized to bring illiquid opportunities to the attention of their customers because those are more profitable transactions for Robinhood. So AKA more risky. They're more risky for the user, right? Which is not actually investing, but trading. Yes, it's, it's, it's gambling. <laughs> So you take it a step farther. I do. Yes. Before sharing the rest of my conversation with Dr. Smith, which I will do in tomorrow's episode, I wanted to take that primer we just got on payment for order flow and re-examine the response I got from Robinhood. Yes, like Robinhood said, it is true that sometimes payment for order flow may give investors a better price on investments, but they didn't really pull back the curtain because the question implicit in payment for order flow systems is whether there's a conflict of interest between Robinhood working with market makers when they should be working for their users. It is true that Robinhood did not invent payment for order flow. That was actually Bernie Madoff, and you may have heard of him. But Robinhood invented how to exploit it more than any other brokerage, as evidenced by the fact that it accounts for the majority of their revenue, which is unprecedented. But here's the thing. Even if you shrug off the fact that Robinhood is making money off the spreads in your investments, you shouldn't ignore the fact that your investing behaviors and decisions may stem from Robinhood's marketing. That's the most insidious part of all of this. It seems like Robinhood is using marketing tactics to encourage users to make investments that are profitable for Robinhood. The bad news is, what's profitable for Robinhood isn't necessarily profitable for Robinhood users. As we'll hear more about in the next episode, brokerages that use payment for order flow make more money on bigger spreads, and spreads tend to be larger on riskier investments. 
In other words, if you're a Robinhood user, you make money by choosing smart investments, which may mean safer investments. But your platform, Robinhood, makes money when you choose risky investments. Therefore, you and Robinhood reap financial gains in essentially opposite scenarios. Do you see how this could be a problem? If you and your brokerage had a win-win structure where your financial incentives were aligned, then yeah, sure, a few cents or fractions of cents that Robinhood gains from the spread might be negligible. But when you have a win-lose structure with your brokerage, you may be marketed opportunities that set you up to lose. That's all for today's episode. Tune in tomorrow for the rest of my conversation with Dr. Smith, where we go deeper into the dark side of these modern investing platforms, how they're addictive, why they're dangerous, and how users can protect themselves. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoy and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dickert for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all. We spend